Welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's my wife Julie, and slightly late, but better than never, we're back with another look at uh, what we've been reading, what we thought about it, and then some joint conversation. This week, we've even got a special guest. Without further ado... One of my favorite things that I read this month was The Next Great Jane by Kale Going. And one of the reasons that I loved it so much was that my daughter and I read it together. And she has come on the podcast to talk to us about this book today, too. So I'm super excited. Hello. Natalie, you want to tell us what The Next Great Jane is about? Okay, so The Next Great Jane is about Jane. And Jane wants to be a writer when she grows up, like her hero, Jane Austen. So, when a writer is going to come visit her home in a tiny town off in Maine, I believe, she is excited, but then the author's annoying son shows up at the um, writer's thing, and then her mother shows up out of California and wants to take custody, and um, she doesn't want to leave her home. So, um, she and her friend are trying to find an impressive date for her father so that maybe, um, the judge will think that she could stay there. Um, I think so that about covers it, right? Yeah, that's really about it. Why do you like this book? Um, I like this book because I love writing like Jane, and, um, so it was nice to have a story whose hero also liked writing. And the ending was magnificent. It really was a good ending. We're not going to tell what the ending was so people can read it. Yeah. But, but it was great. Um, who do you think would like this book? Um, well, I would recommend this book to anyone listening who is a middle grade reader because this is a middle grade designed book um, for writers uh, like Jane. And um, Mom says that uh, <laughs> this is... Um, they, if you read this, you would like Jane Austen, so I guess if you like Jane Austen, you would like this. <laughs> it is true. If you're a Jane Austen fan, this would be a really fun book to read, and maybe someday you will read some Jane Austen, too. Maybe. Well, I love reading stuff with you, so I'm super glad that we got to read this book together, and thank you for coming to tell us about it. You are welcome. The next book that I read this month was Just Like You by Nick Hornby, which we're going to talk a lot more about in just a minute. But then I read Jack by Marilyn Robinson. And I've mentioned Marilyn Robinson before probably many times on this show. Um, I love Marilyn Robinson. She's one of my favorite authors. Jack continues um, a popular storyline that she has been writing about for quite some time um, in Gilead and Lila. Jack is um, the son of a preacher who... He's he's the wayward son. He's the the prodigal, I guess, except the prodigal that doesn't really come home in this book. Um, what time period would these be written in? The Depression? Thereabouts. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 some time back. They're never terribly clear on that, but but it's got a early to mid 20th century feel. Okay. So Jack is living in in that time period um, in St. Louis for most of this book. It is illegal to um, have interracial marriages and Jack is in love with a black woman. And this book follows um, their love story. And it also, as all of Marilyn Robinson's stories do, explores spiritual implications of interacting with other people on this earth. And what does it mean to actually love each other and to love God? I haven't read it, but but Robinson uh, is such a gifted writer on writing about the human condition, on writing about sin and redemption. 
and grace and uh, abiding with your flawed brothers and sisters in the world. And I can't imagine this book to be anything but a chip off the old block in that regard. Yeah, it really does just follow right along with what you're saying. If you've read either of those other books, it's, it's right in the same line. It's... Um, a little bit. It, it's not a light book in any way. It doesn't have chapter divisions. Um, it's a very thoughtful, contemplative book. So just know what you're getting into when you pick it up. But it is an excellent read. Then I read Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, and I read this one with my son. This is the second read for him. Um, we've read it together. He's We're big Harry Potter fans all the way through this family. And um, we actually, at his request, read these books when he was really kind of young. And now he's going back through them now that he's a little bit older. It is a better pastime than watching the YouTube clip with 10 hours of Voldemort's laugh on loop. Please let me express my immense appreciation to you for bringing that into hey, our lives. Hey, <laughs> Stop hey, it. <laughs> visualize 959.58 more of that. <laughs> the last book that I read this month was The Last Story of Mina Lee. I'm, I'm not really sure how you would pronounce that. By Nancy Yuyong Kim. I may be murdering that name too. Not really sure. Um, but this is a story of immigration um in the story, Mina is the mother, and her daughter, Margot, um, shows up at her house in the first chapter. Um, she hasn't been back at home for a long, long time, and when she comes, she finds her mother dead on the floor. And the rest of the novel is her attempts to find out what happened to her mother, if there was any foul play in her death, and also just to try to understand who her mother was. Um, as a woman who immigrated to this country when she was very, very young, she never married Margot's father, she kept a lot of secrets, and Margot's trying to figure out who she is and how she fits into America um, through her mother's story. And it was just a really, really interesting, very powerful book, um, ultimately very hopeful, but it also made me really sad to read, to think about the plight of immigrants in this country. Well, and, and you've got all of these novels that have to do with people coming, you know, it's going to become more common. It's a, it's a very blended world. Nobody is one thing anymore. You're, you're from X, but you go to Y and you marry somebody who comes from culture Z. And so everybody has these fragmented identities. And, you know, there are a lot of books out there. Transcendent Kingdom immediately was what I thought about listening to you talk about this, where people have to kind of restructure who they are from these various pieces. And, and that's something we all do, whether, whether you're an immigrant or you're not, you know, you, you, everybody faces that. So I think that's kind of where they're coming from, but a chance to do some powerful storytelling. It is. It's powerful storytelling, and it's also also just really, really thoughtful. I'm, I've lived in pretty much the same place my entire life. This is my experience. Um, but to read about people who have risked everything, to come to a new place and put all of their hopes and dreams, it just gives you a much broader perspective, um, and it really, it, it really just makes you feel for other people. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, you're up. Well... I actually managed to get some books in this time. Uh, I did finish one right after we cut the, the last episode, and it was a biography of Hall of Fame pitcher Burley Grimes. It's called Burley Grimes Baseball's Last Legal Spitballer by Joe Neese. Um, was lucky enough to be part of a baseball book club, and Joe came and talked with us about the book and his research. Um, interesting guy and the the my favorite part of the player he profiled okay burley 
if you hear me say it, it's B-U-R-L-E-I-G-H. It's named for an old British politician, but my favorite thing about him is he had a brother, and his parents named the brother Shirley. Oh, S-H-U-R-L-E-I-G-H. So Burley and Shirley. Uh, so I love that. But it, it's a fun biography that Joe does because this, this guy's one of these dudes who kind of slid under the radar in his own time. And the most famous thing about him, he was the last guy who was allowed to throw a spitball. They got rid of the spitball uh, because it was dangerous and it was you know hard to, to govern and, and people would get hit and, and it freaked the baseball establishment out. But if you already threw one, you could keep throwing it. So he's the last guy who was allowed <laughs> to do it. And when he went, finally, they're like, okay, nobody can do it. So huh. it's kind of his niche. I uh, read the book Homegrown by Alex Spire, uh, which was about the Boston Red Sox and what geniuses everybody who ran the Red Sox was because they won the World Series. And, of course, this year the Red Sox were terrible. And I've read a handful <laughs> of these books. I read one about the Houston Astros, and I read it, and then the whole cheating scandal came that they were over there stealing signs and banging on trash can lids. And, and it's like, well, maybe they weren't geniuses. And, of course, as a Cubs fan, you know, there's the, the Tom Verducci book. I'm blanking on the name, but... I was saying the other day, he picks out four players who are like the center of this Cubs dynasty, and one of them's already gone, and probably two more will be soon. Uh, I, I think the, the lesson there is if you write about a dynasty in baseball, maybe wait and see that it's actually a <laughs> dynasty before you're wow. like, these guys were geniuses. <laughs> they might look like geniuses one year, and they might look pretty foolish the next. It's just the nature of baseball. It is. Now, on the football side of things read 10 men you meet in the huddle by bill curry um fascinating book as the title suggests it's kind of you know life wisdom somewhat motivational um coach curry is one of the true stand-up guys he's out there on twitter still speaking truth to power even though he's done more than his fair share of life uh, he, he's uh, he's far from packing it in and his story is a fascinating one, and he talks about just the people he interacted with, whether it's legendary coach Vince Lombardi, and he tells the story of coming to Lombardi's hospital bed when he's dying and, and asking him to, to forgive him for some things he'd said in the in the newspaper and, and how Lombardi had changed his life. He talks about Bart Starr and Johnny Unitas. And, and, you know, you, you really come away with an idea of what these these guys were like as people. Uh, and that's a tribute to how down-to-earth Curry is as a writer and as a dude. Great guy. One of my favorite people in football. A fascinating book. Uh, a light, easy read, uh, but one that'll stick with you. And, well, and you were super excited to read this book. This is the only one that you read this month that you kept reading me pieces of. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's such an incredibly stand-up guy and, and so thoroughly humble uh you know he, he talks about his his career he became a center and he basically will say you know i snapped the ball to the quarterback and then got run over and that's <laughs> what he did uh, but there there's a lot more to it and he's a phenomenal leader and a great example of a guy who's still a voice for fundamental decency and kindness in a world that can use more of it and the last one was kind of off the wall, Word Freak by Stefan Fatsis. Um, 
It's a book about Scrabble. Now, Fatsis is one of these guys who's kind of a participatory journalist. The first of his books I read, he decided he would be a kicker for the Denver Broncos. And he somehow talked his way into training camp and documented that. Interesting uh, guy right there. Yeah. Well, so this time he decides he's going to be a world-class Scrabble player. So he takes you through it. It bogs down a little bit to me at times in the arcane details of his own games and his playing but the characters he meets the way the game evolves there's a lot of great storytelling in here um and you know if you like that kind of new journalism i want to be in the middle of the story i'm telling stuff then anything fatsis does is fun and word freak definitely would go in that category um all these books were, were, were good books. The Bill Curry one was, was special to me, kind of touched me in a different way. And, and Word Freak was just a really quirky, fun read, but they're all good. So I just noticed that I think this is the first month that everything I read was fiction and everything you read was nonfiction. Well, except, well, except for... for the book we're about to talk about. Right. Which is Just Like You by Nick Hornby. This is one of the books that I have been most excited about. Although I only found out it was coming out like two days before it actually got published. But we love Nick Hornby around here. He's one of our favorite writers. And I could not wait to get my hands on this book. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking the guy behind High Fidelity. Uh, a Long Way Down is one of his novels. Oh, that's that I one love. of my favorites. Juliet Naked, I think, is, is a minor masterpiece as well. Um, you know, you get kind of his like Bob Dylan nutterliness coming through there, which obviously I can relate to, but, (laughs) but he's such a just vivid, funny writer who's got a special gift for the male psyche and how screwed up we are fundamentally. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of women who write about women well, and even men who write about women well. Hornby is one of the dudes who gets what goes on in a man's head. And it's a little bit horrifying at times to see it on the page. But so many times in his books, I read something and think, oh, I can completely identify. Yeah, he just communicates the male mind very, very well um, in a way that a lot of other male authors can't seem to be able to do. What I really appreciate about him is that uh, the hilarity, everything he writes is hilarious. (laughs) But also that there's always at the core of these books, just like this golden line of truth and um just vulnerability that runs straight through every single one of them that even when you're thinking all of these men are absolute idiots, (laughs) you have to love them. And Hornby does a lot of his own screenplays. Um, I love the movie High Fidelity more than the book. And Fever Pitch. Don't forget that. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So lots of stuff that he does. But for me, I think just like you, it's right up there at the top of my list of all of Hornby's books that I've read. Yeah, and that that's a big statement. This this is a, a kind of a different take here. What you have, and I try not to give too much away, but it's a novel about a love story, but it's an unconventional love story. It's an early 40s white woman and an early 20s black man. And it's in Britain. And one of the key plot points is all of this takes place at the same time as the Brexit vote. So one of the many subplots we're dealing with here is this whole business of you've got a society in an uproar. This is going to be the worst thing ever. We can't vote any other way. Well, I can't be friends with you if you don't vote the way I vote. Eerily. Echoing what was going on in America at the time and what's going on even more right now. Well, and, and the first Trump election does come up it in comes the book. Up, yeah. yeah. Um, 
so it's funny to have it come out now. But uh, you've got all of that, but against that, again, it's really a novel about a, a love story, and it's it's the sort of thing that when I describe that, undoubtedly, if you're thinking about it, you're thinking, that's going to be difficult. That's what I thought when I read his description. How's he going to pull this one off? Yeah, and, and it is. I mean, Hornby doesn't avoid the potential thousand ways that these things can get complicated and difficult and how somebody in their early 40s is different than somebody in their early 20s. But that's part of the point of the book, um, that the idea of being in a relationship is not to change each other. It's to accept each other and to just love each other. Yeah. And then also to accept yourself and not try to be somebody that you're not. And not even necessarily buy into the stereotypes of what the 40-year-old woman is or the 20-year-old man. You just look at who you are and who the other person is and you love both of those. Yeah. And, and again, I don't want to give too much away, but but it never falls into like cringy no, humor. Never. I mean, it, it's it's kind of poignant. And there are a few times, there's one bit in particular um, where Lucy, the, the woman, dreads going to this social event. Uh, and she's just afraid she's going to be 15 or 20 years older than everybody else. She's going to look crazy. And she goes and Hornby says, you know, within a matter of minutes of meeting Joseph's friends, these friends aren't doing what she worried or, they, or she's worried that they're going to be sitting around thinking, what in the world is he doing with her? <laughs> they see how awesome she is and they're sitting there wondering why in the world is she with him? You know? So, so I, I think that will be one part of the, of the inevitable movie that will come of this, which will just be really beautiful. And he will undoubtedly write the screenplay. So it'll, it'll be fabulous. Um, one of the things that we talked about with it was that a big chunk of the book is the two of them coming up with reasons why they shouldn't love each other, why they should not be with each other. Which again, echoes the things that you were talking about with the Brexit vote and the things that go on today, reasons to not like each other, reasons to not be together. We, we tend in any kind of relationship to just look at all of the differences and define ourselves by those differences. But there is obviously something... Uh, greater that can come out of those differences. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to suggest I'm, I'm saying we all just hold hands and sing Kumbaya <laughs> and everything's magically going to be okay. But but these characters grapple with these things and then they ultimately decide, you know what, you know, tomorrow it may be crazy. It may be too much, but today it's fine. Today it's beautiful. And you know, with Brexit and Trump and whatever the world's going to throw at us, we'll find new ways to hurt each other and to divide each other and to, you know, make the common condition of being human beings seem fragmented and weird and different. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, any relationship, any friendship really fundamentally comes back to that decision. Tomorrow, your politics may be too weird for me. Tomorrow, you may think about the world in a fundamentally different way than I do. But today, let's let's have a meal. Let's let's hang out. Let's do something. And and you know, isn't that what any of it is? Friendship, relationships. It's a, a choice to abide by each other in the here and now. And and tomorrow will be tomorrow. That's a really good way to put it. You know, in many ways, this is a very different book from his earlier books. Different from High Fidelity. 
which we've been watching again <laughs> <laughs> after we read this book. Um, and I wonder if maybe that's the difference between the way a young man writes and sees himself and his place in the world and then the way an older man does. Yeah, a lot of his earlier books felt very autobiographical, whether they were or they weren't. It very much felt like he was just channeling himself onto the page. And this book comes from a totally different place. I don't think either of these characters are him. I don't think any of the sub-characters are him. Well, maybe her two sons who, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, I won't, I won't go there, but there's a great bit where, where Joseph is trying to tell them to be on their best behavior and he has to eventually go through a list of all the words they can't say around this person they're meeting. And, and, uh, it's like, don't oh, give it, don't, I don't know what I'll say. <laughs> yes. That was very high fidelity. Yeah, it completely was. But, but by and large, yeah, it, it's kind of a new maturity for him as a writer and he wears it well, and it'll be an awesome movie whenever it comes out. <laughs> I can't wait. I want to buy my tickets already, um, and I want to read this book again because it was just that good. If you've never given Hornby a chance, this is a really good one to start with. I also do really recommend A Long Way Down. That one was amazing. And Joe's, like he said, his your favorite was Juliet Naked. Yeah, Juliet Naked is good, but I would start with High Fidelity if I was going to go down that route. Uh, and, of course, the, the movie, John Cusack just <laughs> nails it. Uh, um, but, but Fever Pitch is good. Oh, there's so many good, good novels. There's so many good, uh, movies and he's a great critic. His, his books of reviews oh, are, are pretty awesome too. He's got a whole series. They're very thin little books where he wrote book reviews for the Guardian and they're not traditional book reviews at all, but then he compiled them into these tiny little volumes and they were really, really fantastic. Those were some of the books that I would buy and then read out loud to you while we were on road trips. Maybe we'll get him on the podcast someday. I don't know. It's uh, it's a long way from, from this week's special guest to Nick Hornby. But, uh, you know, again, we'll, we'll do today today and tomorrow tomorrow. So. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, for tuning in again and listening to what we have to say. We'd love to hear from you. Um, any of you who have comments about the books that we have talked about or anything else that you think that we ought to read. At paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. If you want to leave us reviews, uh, you know, nice five-star rating on Apple Podcasts is lovely. We're also on Google Podcasts and Stitcher and would be on anything else you want us to be on. Uh, but in the meanwhile, keep listening, but more than that, keep reading.